All right, welcome back, students. Now we're going to be talking about the Odyssey after having finished Homer's Iliad. In fact, actually, we're going to talk about the time between the Iliad and the Odyssey. So just as we know that in the Iliad, we started 10 years into the war, in the 10th year of a 10-year-long war, so a lot had happened beforehand, not only during the war, but what led up to the war happening and the events that uh, got the Achaeans from Aulis all the way to Troy. Recall there were some winds, there was a sacrifice, a human sacrifice of Iphigenia. A lot of stuff happened. Well, the same thing happens here. After the Iliad ends, the Trojan War still has not ended and has to end. We'll talk about how that happens. And then after the Trojan War ends, all the heroes have to make it home. Who are still alive? It will not be all of them. And, well, hmm, some of them do not make it home. And some of them do not make it home so easily. And especially one of them does not make it home so easily. And that will be who? Odysseus. Odysseus, Odysseus. So he will have the longest journey home. And something interesting about the Lattimore editions that you have of the Iliad and the Odyssey is that the Iliad obviously has what on the cover? Fire, Fire and the Odyssey has what? Water. Water. And so this will be sort of a representation of the balancing forces of life or the two aspects of life, the coming to the big event of life and the returning home from the big event, like a good... Friday night. But hey, let's talk about things that happened during the Trojan War, but after the Iliad that we want to know about. So we have these old synopses. We have about four of them. So something we know about the epic cycle is there used to be, at least according to Aristotle, a fourth century philosopher, that uh, it used to be the case that there was not just the Iliad and the Odyssey, but there was also a work called the Cypria that came before the, uh, the Iliad. There was a work called the Ethiopus which came after the Iliad. Um, there's another work called the Little Iliad, and there was a work called The Returns after the Odyssey. I might be forgetting one of them as well, but I think there were eight epics. Now, we sometimes get sad about that because we think because of the library burning in Alexandria uh, that we may have lost the last copies of those texts. However, do not fret because Aristotle says that the Iliad and the Odyssey were the only masterpieces anyway. The other stories were good, but they were not as great as the ones that we still have, which makes sense because we probably still have the Iliad and the Odyssey because there were more what's of each because they were considered better and more important. Copies. Copies of each. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. So let's talk about the Ethiopus. It's called the Ethiopus because these Ethiopians show up. And who leads the Ethiopians? Well, there's a character named Memnon, but before he shows up, you might consider him sort of the ultimate bad guy that Achilles fights against, against the person that we were hoping Hector would be. Well, first, a woman named Penthesilea comes in front of a very famous group of individuals called the Amazons, or the Amazonians from Thrace. In fact, if you've ever watched which Marvel superhero movie, you know a little bit about Amazons who are led by very strong women. Which which movie was it? Wonder Woman. That's right. She is an Amazon. She's an Amazon. And so those people originally would have come from Thrace, and they would have been daughters of Ares, because, of course, Ares is the Olympian god who was born in Thrace in the Near East. Uh, very good. Very good. So a couple things about Penthesilea. She shows up. Well, she is one of the most famous mythological female rulers. We'll also run into one in the Aeneid named Dido. We'll run into a couple sort of rulers in the Odyssey, Calypso and Circe, but they'll, more, they'll be more goddess-like or sorceress-like. Penthesilea led the Amazonian contingent 
after Hector fell. She shows up to Troy to be their major ally to help them fight against the Achaeans because Achilleus is still alive. And well, as long as Achilleus is still alive, Troy needs as much physical help as it can get because Achilleus is definitely going to do what to them if he is alive? Sack them, destroy them, kill them, exactly. So at the moment the Penthesilea arrives, she is the final hope for the Trojans. So she goes out to fight. And this comes from a work uh, by, uh, uh, what is his name? His name, it starts with a Q. Uh, 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 oh no, I'm forgetting his name. It's like Corinus of Smyrna. I'm forgetting his first name though. Uh, it'll it'll come back to me. It's not Quintilian, who's a Roman. In any case, there is a work called Post Homerica, which talks about the time after the Iliad. In that work, and I can show it to you at some point. Um, Achilleus and Aias the Greater are fighting in the battle against the Amazons when Penthesilea has first arrived. Penthesilea then confronts Achilleus and says, I am going to fight against you and kill you. This is exactly what happens in this work. Achilleus and Aias the Greater look at each other and then burst into laughter. And then Aias the Greater runs off to go kill someone else and Achilleus fights against Penthesilea. Now, this is where it gets good. I mean, that's a pretty rude reaction by Aias and Achilleus. They're like, you're going to kill me? A girl? And they could just as well laugh at anybody who wants to say that to them because nobody's going to be either of them. That said, that said, they laugh like that. Achilles then fights Penthesilea. He slays her. He defeats her. Now, this is the weirdest part of this story. This weird part. Because you know with the Greek mythology, it always gets weird at some point, right? And so, in the moment that Achilles slays Penthesilea, he realizes the basic identity between him and her. He, too, is a royal warrior son who has a god parent just just as she does and though she's a daughter and he's a son they're very similar though they found themselves on opposite sides of the battle they're very much like a romeo and juliet in this case and so in that moment when he strikes penthesilea down supposedly achilleus falls in love with her seeing the potential future they could have had together had he not fought against her, but rather betrothed her or, or married her. And now, this is when the situation gets even better. Guess who's waddling along, limping about, and happens to see Achilleus kill Penthesilea, and also sees the look on his face afterwards, letting him know exactly how Achilleus feels. Yes? Hephaestus. Not Hephaestus. Yes. Thersites! of the endless speech. And if we recall from book two of the Iliad, who are the two men who hate Thersites more than anybody? Yes. Odysseus and Achilleus. And you might imagine because both of them are the best at something. And so they hate the man who is the worst of the Achaeans because he is the least like them. Yes. That's funny that you asked that. I am going to a, a, a play version of a Christmas Carol tonight. I'll also be seeing The Grinch and uh, and uh, uh, the Civic Theater version of The Nutcracker uh, later. You do know that San Diego is very good. We have three versions of The Nutcracker to come through here. A Russian version, a City Ballet version at the Spreckles, and also a Civic Theater version. I think the Civic Theater is the best. In any case, uh, you might say that Thersites is like Scrooge and that he's a spoil sport. But this is what happens. 
Thersites, well, he just saw Achilles do something that Achilles is not happy about. And so, you know, if he were a friend, he would come over and console Achilles, right? And be like, it's okay, buddy. But is Thersites Achilles his friend? No, 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 no. And he sees him going through a bad moment. So what's he want to go and do him? I need a very specific word here. He wants to what him. Yes, mock. Mock is good. Mock is good. I'm looking for one with a little more, a few more syllables. Yes? Oh, tease. Tease is also good. Antagonize. That's the word I'm looking for. He goes to antagonize. Now, the problem with antagonizing Achilles, we recall when Achilles received the news about Patroclus. Did he take that so well? No. No, in fact, he took it so poorly that Antilochus did what to keep Achilles from killing him, even though Antilochus is his friend. They're good friends. In fact, they'll hang out in the underworld in the Odyssey. Yes. He held his hands to keep Achilles from doing what to him? Cutting his throat. Yes. And so, <laughs> if you're Thersites and you want to come antagonize Achilles right after someone he might have loved died, <laughs> is that kind of like teasing a bear? <laughs> and standing between it and its cub and food at the same time? Oh, yeah. So, well, let's see what happens here. Oh, did I not even have it written? Oh, I do have it written. Good, good. Achilles is so infuriated, enraged by Thersites. He takes his hand, turns it into a fist. He turns and BAM! Punches Thersites right in the face, knocks his teeth out, makes him swallow some of them, kills him. He punches him so hard in the face, kills him dead. And now we all laugh because we think Thersites, haha, what a loser. And we all think, oh, it's during war, it's okay. Wrong. Totally wrong. Because Thersites, was he on Achilles' side? Yes, he's in a can. What has Achilles done then? He's murdered. Murdered. Not the same as killing Hector, who is a lawful combatant. Not the same as killing any of the Trojans. He's killed in a can. That is bad, bad, bad. Does not matter whether he is the son of a god or a goddess. He is now... Uh, corrupted. He is unclean. He needs to be purified because of this action. Of all the things he's done, and this will strike you as, I think, very ironic and funny, this is the worst thing he has ever done. Though we all probably think it's sort of the best thing he's ever done. Yes? Didn't we talk about that in the very beginning of the area? Like, uh, because we were talking about Paris. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't that's right that's right several of you suggested why don't the Trojans just dispose of Paris and well the problem is you would pollute your own people right it would be sort of like if we as a culture decided to sacrifice you and the idea might be that in us forcing you to do that we corrupted our the ethics or the character of our culture uh, and so when a character corrupts himself by acting in an illegal or immoral or ungodly way in the ancient Greek times or the times before even ancient Greece existed, well, you had to go to another land and have another person at a temple of a god ritually purify you. And so, who does that for Achilles? Because we need Achilles back, yes? Odysseus, of course. Like usual, when something needs doing, it is Odysseus who goes to do it. Whether he's sacrificing a hecatomb with Chryseis, or he's setting some lines for a one-on-one combat between Paris and Menelaus, or he's sneaking in to the Trojan walls and stealing the Palladium, or he's sneaking into the camp of the Thracians and helping to kill him, 
Odysseus helps. And so that's what happens. Achilles then sails to Lesbos. Does anybody recall which god spent nine years on Lesbos? With Thetis and Eurydice? Yes? Festus. Hephaestus. Lesbos is holy to Hephaestus. And after they sacrifice to Apollo, Artemis, and Leto, Achilles is purified. So great. He got to kill Thersites and got to get purified. That's a win-win. That's a win-win. Okay. Next thing that happens before Troy falls, Memnon shows up. Now, Memnon is an Ethiopian, which means he comes from which continent? Africa. Africa, right, which means that he was dark of skin. And in fact, there was an, there is a story in Ovid's Metamorphoses of why those in Ethiopia are dark of skin. And the reason is because once Apollo had a son who was his half-son, so he was a mortal, he wanted to ride in the chariot of Apollo to prove that he was the son of Apollo. Well, the problem with that is not even Zeus can handle the chariot of Apollo. And so when this mortal kid got into that chariot, what do you think happened? He lost control. In fact, he went through the constellations. Draco, the great snake dragon in the skies, tried to eat him, tried to bite him. And then he, he drew the sun too close to Africa, and that gave them a, a major tan. A major tan. And that's the idea. That's the idea. And I think that's sort of funny because... They seem to have made the connection between proximity to the sun and tan skin. What do we know nowadays? If you spend time in the sun, what happens to the pigmentation of your epidermis, your skin? It darkens. That's right. It darkens. So I think that's an interesting uh, moment of mythology providing a narrative for a physical fact. Yes? So was there a lot of racism towards darker people back then? That's an interesting sort of question. You might just say that there was that there was no concept of racism so much as peopleism at that time. You did not like, in general, people that were not who did not speak the same language as you did. In fact, the later Greeks would call those who did not speak Greek barbaroi, where we get the word barbarians from. And here's something funny for you: they called them that because they thought that people who were not Greeks spoke like this: bar, 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 bar. Is that how we make fun of people who we don't understand the language of? You just say one or two words over and over again and then laugh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. Does I need to look that into that. I need to look into that. So let's talk about Memnon. Memnon is like a carbon copy of Achilles, though dark skin. And so it's like a yin-yang them fighting against each other. Let's look at some other things that are in common. He also has a minor goddess who's a mother, Eos, the dawn which makes sense also why he might be dark because he's related literally to the rising of the sun. The set, and so he is himself sort of a yin-yang symbol. He also has Hephaestian armor. So he has sick armor just like who? Achilles. And now when they fight, it's the fight we were all waiting for. If you read post-Homerica uh, by, is it Quintus? Quintus of Smyrna? I need to look this up. It is. Uh, it does start with a Q. If you read that, you will see that they fight from dawn till dusk, all day long, seeking after an advantage against each other. But finally, who wins? It is Achilles, and the reason that he does win is a very similar reason to why I think Ron should have died in Harry Potter in the final battle, and also why I think Achilles beat Patroclus. Because Memnon shows up, and he does sort of like what you would expect in any sort of James Bond movie. Or like if you've ever watched Hook with Rufio and the Pan. The guy who's not as strong as the other guy who is the friend of the protagonist, he steps against the great antagonist. Is he strong enough to defeat him? No, this person is Antilochus, the wise son of Nestor. We like Antilochus. And he's actually Nestor's favorite son. And 
Nestor, when we see him in the Odyssey, will be very sad about this fact. In fact, all the brothers will be very sad about this fact. Memnon kills Antilochus, but then when they battle against each other, Achilles has a chance to avenge his friend and then kills Memnon himself. And I think this is always interesting to teach the students because probably what Achilles thought when Patroclus died is, what more can I lose? What do we now know? There's plenty more to lose. Always. Always more to lose. That's good, good thinking. Yes? Uh, does Achilles take his armor? Does Achilles take his armor? He certainly does. That's an excellent question. Yes? Does Achilles ever find someone as good as Patroclus? He doesn't have enough time. And you might say that if you consider how much time a person from childhood puts into a relationship that one has all the way through early adulthood, it's like, will you ever have that sort of time again? Yes. Now that Achilles has two sets of armor from Hephaestus, why do they have to fight over it since there's two sets? So that's sort of a funny question. So sort of like the new armor or the old armor, those sort of like disappear from the conversation. And then there's just a conversation about his armor. So I don't know if it's supposed to be all of his sets of armor or a mixture of the sets. I imagine it is the armor that is made from specifically by Hephaestus uh, that he wears when he defeats Hector that gets argued over by people. But I don't really know much about Memnon's armor besides the fact that it's made by Hephaestus. Yes? For the, about the armor, um, when someone kills someone and they take the armor, are they allowed to wear that armor? Oh, they certainly are. Hector does wear the armor of Achilles when he fights against Achilles that he took from Patroclus. And that included Achilles' sword in that one? Not his, not his spear or his sword. Remember, he has a very specific spear, the Pele and the Ash spear, which is too heavy to be wielded. And so Patroclus did not take that out with so not his weapon. All right, let's move, let's move. All right, you don't need to write all of this. In fact, I don't need you to write any of this. So, Eos then obtains of Zeus and bestows upon her son immortality. So she asks Zeus, will you make my son, my beautiful son, immortal? And you can tell that this is a story from after Homeric times because Homer doesn't really have a very filled out image of the afterlife. Something we've asked about often is, is there sort of a ancient Greek heaven and hell? And the answer is, uh, not really for Homer, kind of for the later poets. This would be an idea of that. If a goddess makes you immortal after you die and takes you to the White Island, that's sort of the idea of going to the pearly gates for the Greeks, going to a place where you serve as a good example of how a human can live life and thus are stored in the eternal memory of those who are good, which you might call a heaven. And so... <clears throat> Eos then obtains of Zeus and bestows upon her son immortality, but Achilles routs the Trojans and rushing into the city with them is killed by Paris of Troy and Apollo. And so how it happens, there are multiple stories of how it happens. One story that you don't need to know, but you will hear about in the Inferno next year, is that Achilles fell in love with one of the daughters of Priam called Polyxena. Um... He falls in love with her and then tries to meet her for a tete-a-tete. That means a head-to-head in the temple of, I think, Athena. It might be Apollo as well. When he attempts to meet her there, she has betrayed him. And instead of him being there, Deiphobos, Paris are there. They ambush him, shoot him in the heel, he dies. It is cheap, but that's the only way you're going to kill Achilles. Uh, And actually, (laughs) according to that account... He then shows up as a ghost to Agamemnon and Odysseus, and the one thing he demands is that when they capture Troy and capture Polyxena, that they sacrifice her to him. 
and that they burned her to death. And I think it's like, okay, wow, wow, that's pretty gnarly. But in post America, who I am remembering now, his name is Quintus of Smyrna. I always think that because it reminds me of the word for uh, five. Um, is this. Achilles gets shot in the heel by Paris, who's shooting an arrow, and Apollo guides the arrow. Now what happens is he get hit, gets hit in the foot. Are you going to die immediately when that happens? No. Achilles continues. He gets angry, of course, and then he continues to kill Trojans as he dies until he can no longer stand up and when he chooses to sit, and then he dies. And so he just continues to kill, filled with hate, until he dies. And that, and that is the account. Those are the two accounts I know, anyway, of how he comes to die. I will tell you about how Paris dies soon enough, because, yes, Paris does outlive his great brother Hector and Achilles. so I guess if you're a worm and you live under the ground, you miss a lot of rain and a lot of feet that might step on you. Yes? Uh. I know, that was, a, that was a big image to have right before a question. All right, let's keep moving. So, there's a great struggle for the body of Achilles. I asked the greater, and there's a very famous, I wish I should have it here, I'll get it for us. There's a very famous um, vase painting of Ias the greater holding Achilles, a fireman carrying him over his shoulder and walking off with him. I think that's a very powerful image. I will share that with you all soon. And don't let me forget, uh, because it... You know, seeing the person who caused so much fear in people that they died when he screamed at them as just a limp, dead figure, I think will teach you about what a human is. And uh, that, you know, we know both the heights and the, the depths. Yes, the heights and the depths, the highs and the lows, as we would say. That's right. All right, good. So, 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 so. A great struggle, struggle for the body then follows. Isograta takes up the body and carries it to the ships while Odysseus drives off the Trojans behind. Great. The Achaeans then bury Antilochus and lay out the body of Achilles while Thetis, arriving with the Muses and all her sisters, and she has something like 39 Iliad sisters, maybe 40 of them. They're all listed in the Iliad at one point. Do you all recall reading that yeah. list? And, or skipping, skimming over that list? Yes, very good. I mean, that's what you should do with those lists. You don't even know how to say the names yet, necessarily, right? And so, they bewail her son, whom she afterward catches away from the pyre, and then a later account would be that she takes him like Memnon to the White Island, which is like the pearly gates, which is like the sort of heaven place of the ancient Greeks. After this, the Achaeans pile him on a cairn, that's something that you burn uh, for a funeral, and hold games in his honor. And then a nasty little dispute comes about. And so let's move on to the little Iliad. Yes? What does it mean by games? Games like funeral games, like Olympic games. Like they do wrestling. <laughs> so often when we hold a, uh, a festival, it is, a, it is to honor someone who has died in some way or another. And so that's the idea behind many festivals. In fact, the Christian festival, which is, or death and birth are often the biggest reasons why we have festivals. And so the Christian festival is a celebration of what? Or excuse me, the Christmas festival that we're all about to see. It's December. The birth of a person or a god, yes. And then Easter is the celebration of what? The death, that's right. And so what the Greeks did, and this is why we have the Olympics, is that they would have Olympic-style games after somebody very important died in order to uh, do great things in their name, in their honor. And so there were foot races, there were chariot races, there were wrestling matches, there were spear matches, um, which are very dangerous. Um, 
at someone at a funeral? That's almost what happens, I think. And I need to recall this correctly. It's either Ias the Greater, I think it's Ias the Greater and Diomedes who compete in that way in Book 23, and they have to be stopped by everybody around them because they get so into it that they almost kill each other, and everybody's like, we can't, you know, we don't want to deal with any more death right now. Um, that's too much death. All right, all right, so this little Italy... This little Iliad, which we have a summary of from Proclus's Crestomathia, which was originally four books by Leskes of Mytilena, shows us something that we will talk about a little bit soon. And in fact, I may read this with you at the start of next semester from Ovid's Metamorphoses. And there's, there are about 500 lines in that text uh, where Ias the Greater and Odysseus have a speech contest. And now what are they having a speech contest about? Well, recall, Achilles has just died, and he had really sick what? Armor. Armor. And so now people want to know, because he does not have a direct heir there at the, um, at the fight, though he will, Neoptolemus, his son, will show up at some point. They want to know who deserves his armor. And so Aias the Greater, being his first cousin, and also very similar to him, will suggest that he receive the armor. Odysseus will suggest that well, actually, it is he, because of his greater effect on the Achaeans than Aias, that deserves the armor. And he will make several other arguments as well, yes? But Aias wouldn't even be able to fit in it, would he? At least for the purposes <laughs> of this story, Aias and Achilles, remember Achilles is pretty big too. Achilles is considered giant Achilles. And so he is around big enough he and Ias are similar in size enough, enough, at least for armor. Yes, but that is a good question. Ias greater is obviously the largest, yes. Well, how tall would they be? And that's an interesting question. It's always relative to those around them. So just imagine that relative to you, they would be, at least Ias greater would be like a neck and head taller if you were an average or even normally tall person. I like to say he'd be like LeBron James, like 6'8", compared to how tall we are now, with average size being like 5'9 for a man in America. So, a lot taller, like a foot taller. Yeah, good. All right, so here's something weird that happens. They have this speech contest. Who has the advantage in the speech contest, Ias the Greater or Odysseus? Odysseus, Odysseus wins. Ias the Greater, do you think he, it's a fair conclusion? No, it drives him out of his mind. In fact, he gets so upset, and this, uh, this is maintained for us by a, a play by Sophocles, an ancient Athenian playwright, that he decides that he's going to go out into the night and kill Menelaus, Agamemnon, and Odysseus for just how unjust they are. And now, which goddess does not want that to happen? She likes Odysseus, yes? Uh, Athena. Athena. So she drives Aias mad for a moment and makes him delusional and makes it so that he thinks the cattle of the Achaeans <laughs> are actually the Achaeans. So he's going around the cows, going, moo, he's like, typical Odysseus, mooing at me, take this. And it's like, bleed the goat, and he's like, stab. Yes, and so he is like a, a lion at night that's gotten into the pen of, uh, of sheep, but actually is like a lion at night who gets into a pen full of cattle, and then he kills them all. And then this is why he commits suicide afterwards. He's so ashamed that he killed cattle instead of his enemies, that he cannot live with the shame. He's not ashamed that he attempted to kill his friends out of anger. He is ashamed 
But he failed to do it and killed cattle instead, thus embarrassing himself. And in fact, he does leave his concubine, who was a slave, and his young son by that concubine alone. And in fact, his brother Tucris, his half-brother, who has to go explain this to Ias' father, Telamon, uh, Ias' father will exile Tucris afterwards, saying that it was his fault that it happened. He should have prevented it. Which is, I think, from your faces... Uh, I think you think that's pretty unfair, and I would say that it was pretty unfair. Sorry, Tukris. Yes. Uh, why, why did he decide to kill his fighting comrades, like the people he already fought with? Why would he just, just decide to kill them on a whim? Well, something about anger, and something I lecture about in Dante, especially in the Purgatorio, is anger seems to be the capacity that turns your friends into your enemies and so Ias the Greater and this is part of the reason why later Athenian playwrights would call him stupid seems to and that is the joke about him and Heracles they're not as smart as other people they're kind of barbaric brutal primitive that um, because he was so bound by the heroic code that when he did not receive that which he was supposed to receive it like when Achilles had Briseis taken from him sort of fractured his worldview. And the only thing he knows how to do when somebody does something wrong to him is to fight back against them. He's a warrior. His only recourse, or the recourse that appeared into his head seems to have been, kill those who wronged me. And so, well, not very sophisticated, and Ias doesn't come to the best end because of that. In fact, uh, there's a very famous image of this, too, so make sure that I give you this face painting, too, of him digging a small hole, putting his sword there, and then impaling himself on his own sword. And that is how Achilles did it. Or Ias the Greater did it. Excuse me. Yes? Why do the why do the great warriors have the most sensitive emotions? That's such a good question. Why do the greatest warriors have the most sensitive emotions? You might well ask that about why do the greatest CEOs and artists and athletes seem to have the thinnest skin at times. I mean, one reason why we might think they have thin skin is because we all have thin skin, but they very publicly have uh, have their flaws displayed. But, I don't know. We'll have to think about that. Let's talk about that in seminar. Why is it that these people seem to be so thin-skinned? And are they? Yes? Uh, while Ice was killing all the cattle, was were they humans watching them? They, they, it was at night. They were all asleep. But that would be a funny YouTube video for one of you to make, like making fun of. Take this, Odysseus! Bam! Yeah. It's like, yeah, your talking won't get you out of, won't get you out of this. Yeah. Very good. All right. Good, 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 good. All right. The next thing that happens. All right. We've got to move forward. Odysseus then lies in wait. So we're still at Troy. And now Achilles is gone. Now Ice the Greater is gone. We're a lot stronger or weaker as the Achaeans? Weaker. Weaker, so we're going to have to be smart. So Odysseus. What does Odysseus do? He lies in wait, and he catches a Trojan prophet. Get over here, you little nerd of Hellenus. He grabs Hellenus, <laughs> he brings him back to the Achaean side. He does whatever it takes to get Hellenus to talk. And Hellenus tells him everything he needs to know. Every prophecy he's ever uh, thought through and had, he tells to Odysseus. And so, what does he tell him? He tells him two things that will help Troy to fall. And so here's something. Something said by Viktor Frankl, who survived the concentration camps, and I think he was actually at Auschwitz, I'm not sure. Um, he was a 20th century psychologist, and he said, the best of us did not survive the concentration camps. And so something about that phrase is that do you think the best Trojans survived the war? Hector. No. 
But can you guess who will survive the war? The worst. Hellenus, who betrays his own people, will survive. And so the worst there survive. So, in any case, it's not true that only the worst survive. Obviously, Andromache survives as well. And I don't think that that's technically totally true of Frankel, but I understand what it is that he means. That sometimes you have to do terrible things in order to survive in the world. And Hellenus certainly does do a terrible thing here. He betrays his own people in order to save his own. And he's not killed by it like Leon. In order to save his own skin. It's going to take a second. Got to get this moving again. All right. So the two things which Hellenus tells Odysseus, which he needs to know. The Achaeans are now far weakened by the fact that Achilleus and Aias the Greater are no longer in their fighting ranks. And so Odysseus catches Hellenus and tells him two things. A, you have to capture or get Philoctetes back from Lemnos. You left him there because, well, Philoctetes had a nasty snake bite. A nasty snake bite that made him smell and cry. Smell and cry so badly that the Achaeans could not eat or rest. So Odysseus comes up with the plan to leave Philoctetes on Lemnos for nine years. And in fact, there's another play by Sophocles called the Philoctetes. We used to read it in this class. And basically, Odysseus has to, by means of the son of Achilleus, trick Philoctetes into coming back to the war, even though he obviously feels how for all the Achaeans who abandoned him to die for nine years. Hates them! And so... Odysseus tries to trick Philoctetes into coming back. Philoctetes then finds out that Odysseus has set up this plan, wants to kill Odysseus, but then his, his best friend, who's dead, Heracles, Hercules, so shows up to him as sort of a god and says, go help the Achaeans. Philoctetes will then help the Achaeans defeat the Trojans. In fact, he will win the ultimate honor the Achaeans bestow, which is sort of the, uh, the valor award. It's not a medal of valor, but I will call it that for the moment. He wins the award for being the bravest Achaean at Troy. And that makes sense because he has to face isolation on an island alone in a way that none other does. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. Part of that story is the fact that, obviously, Neoptolemus <coughs> is also taken back from the island on which he found himself. So we recall that King Lycomedes on the, king, on the island of Skyros once had Achilleus in the form of, or disguised as a girl, before the Trojan War. During that time, Achilleus fell in love with one of King Lycomedes' daughters and had relations with her and then had a son. And she actually had the son after Achilleus left. So he never knew his son. And that son's name is Neoptolemus. And Neoptolemus is a Greek word from two words, neos, new, where we get the word new from, and Ptolemus, where we get the word polemic from, which means war or battle. So he's like a new version of Achilleus. Ah, yes. And so this is how Paris comes to die. And this, this will be the last story I tell today, and we'll finish the time between the Iliad and the Odyssey next time. Philoctetes has this gnarly snake wound when he returns back to, it's a magical snake wound, or a divine snake wound. So when he gets to Troy, he still has it. It smells, it stinks, those mean the same thing, and he... Uh, and he's crying because it's so painful. Well, luckily, the Achaeans have two healers, one of whom is Machaon, <clears throat> son of a god of healers. Machaon heals Philoctetes. 
So it ends up being a good decision for him to return with Achaeans because not only does he win the great award for valor, but he also gets healed finally, suggesting that in order to physically heal, you might have to learn to mentally heal against those who harm you. You might have to learn to forgive those around you. It might have benefits, interestingly enough. So, Philoctetes has a very famous bow. He has the bow of Heracles. Why is this famous? Heracles had arrows that were dipped in hydropoison, which meant that whenever he shot an arrow at you and it hit you, you were guaranteed going to what? Die. And in fact, it is that same hydropoison which was put onto a shirt given to uh, Heracles by Nessus, the centaur, which ends up eating his insides out and leading to his own death. And so, live by the hydra-poisoned arrow, die by the hydra-poisoned arrow. And so, Philoctetes has sort of like a superpower. His arrows, if they hit you, you die. And so it doesn't have to be a very good shot that hits you. It doesn't have to hit you in the heart or the lung or the eye or the teeth. In fact, could probably just hit you in the heel. Who do we know who's so famous for hitting somebody with an arrow in the heel? Paris. And so it would be deeply ironic for him to get hit himself in the heel by a poison arrow and then die because of it. Let me tell you this story. One account of how Paris dies is this. He gets shot by Philoctetes in the ankle. And now, perhaps you remember this. You all dislike Paris. Understandable. You all recall that he took Helen from a married man and that we didn't consider that a very smart thing to do, especially because it led to the destruction of his people and the death of you know, his nephew and his best brother. Sure, sure, all of that, all that, that's true, that's true. Do you also recall that Paris was married when he chose Helen? Oh, yeah, indeed. He was married to a nymph on Mount Ida where he was a shepherd. And so, now that he's poisoned, he decides to take a little pilgrimage and go back up that mountain and find his ex. And what do you think that he asks of her? Oh, nymph, former wife, please save me. Please unpoison me. And it's so funny, the Odyssey. It's like you get to see the women's revenge so often. Because... Probably that nymph has been thinking, what about Paris for the last 10 years or so? Yeah, I'd love to pay you back someday for leaving me for another woman, and in fact, a mortal woman and not even a goddess like me. And so she gets her chance. When he asks her for help, she says, no, no. forget it. You can die. <laughs> and that's what happens. And that's how Paris dies. Let's just revel in that. And in fact, let's end with that. <laughs>